You are listening to Studying Pixels, an entirely fake podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simont. I'm a game studies scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I know that pretty much everyone has had COVID already. That's at least what it seems like, considering how little precautions are taken these days. I don't know whether it's detectable in my voice, but I've had COVID last week. And I just want to send a brief message of caution out there in the world, because not only was it a really terrible week that I went through with that virus, but it actually has some quite severe consequences that I will have to deal with in the coming weeks, maybe in the coming months, who knows? So I've unfortunately got some kind of post-COVID syndrome, and it might take a while without going into details before I've got my normal energy and efficiency levels back. It's really disconcerting, and I just want to say to everyone, please continue to be cautious to wear masks. Autumn is coming sooner or later. And with that, more corona waves. And so be as careful as you possibly can. It's really not worth it taking the risk, getting infected. And don't think, because that's what I did, don't think, ah, most likely it's going to be relatively mild and I'm going to be fine because it might be that that thing really nips you in the back. Yes. Well, a speedy recovery to you, Stefan. And thank you. I want to echo that. Yeah, just don't don't take for granted. It's a very serious thing still. And yes, we're coming up on the colder months. And I think we've had fewer public precautions than maybe we've had in the last two years or so. So just be safe, be careful, and don't take it for granted. One thing, though, that is maybe a, well, I won't say positive effect, but at least it was a comfort, was that I spent a whole lot of time playing Triangle Strategy on the Switch. Ah, that, okay. So silver linings all around. Silver linings, <laughs> yeah. It was a great time, actually. <laughs> Never <Yeah>. better. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are your thoughts? I find it super impressive. Triangle Strategy, that is the game developed by... I actually haven't looked up any details now because, again, I was quite sick. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this is from the developers who made Octopath Traveler yeah. before. A game I, I much dearly love. It's a wonderful JRPG with several different narrative strands. And Triangle Strategy, it takes this kind of concept and aesthetics of like an old school SNES JRPG with some 3D effects and puts it into the context of a tactical RPG. So this is a turn-based tactical RPG, small-scale battles where every single move matters. I haven't uh, touched it yet myself, but it's it's sort of like a spiritual successor to Final Fantasy Tactics, right? Yeah, you could say that. In this particular way, yes, because something to be considered is that these battles, they are only one part of the game. And they are an important part, but they're not everything. I know that Final Fantasy Tactics, as far as I can recall, was much more focused on this tactical combat. Whereas in Triangle Strategy, you have also a part almost like a visual novel. Like oh. There are a whole lot of sequences where you just watch characters interact almost like in a puppet theater. And then you have a third part of it, which is decision making. Oh. Because as the title indicates, you've got like this world made out of three nations. Glenbrook, S-Frost, and High Sand. And all of these have like their own quarrels and it's a very complex, intricate political system. And you, as the leader of one of the houses in Glenbrook, you're thrown repeatedly 
into complex political situations and very tough decisions that you need to make. Now, here comes the really interesting thing. In most other games, you're the one just making a decision and then the story plays out. In Triangle Strategy, not so much. You've got a party of, let's say, in this case, maybe like eight people, eight different characters, all with their own backstories, all super interesting characters, very well written and, and voice acted. And you have to summon a council and all of them have a vote on the matter, except for you. You don't have a vote. So you're going around and you're speaking to everyone and you're getting to learn their opinions. And maybe you're exploring the town a little bit, getting to know everyone's opinions, maybe some background information. And then you try to convince your individual party members to vote in favor of what you think is the right idea. And sometimes you have good arguments and it might work. And other times, not so good arguments. And they still say like, no, you didn't convince me. I still think we should do this instead of that. And that complex voting system, that really determines the entire balance of the world and the progression of your story. It's such a cool system. It's amazing. Wow, that's much deeper than I thought it was. Yeah. I, I really thought it was like a, just a tactics game, but that's really cool. It takes a whole lot of time. You need uh, to invest quite some time in it. But if... You are keen on, and I know you are, you are Dan, <laughs> definitely keen on some very complex world development with intricate political struggles, but also super relatable, charming characters that appeal to a connoisseur of Japanese role-playing stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> then, yes, this is totally the game for you. Unless, and this is important, don't expect it to be something where you're constantly, where you're going basically one long battle and then a brief sequence and then another long battle. The battles are pretty much spread out through the entire game. You have some kind of mental mock battles, they are called, optional battles that you can do in between. And they are also really cool, interesting scenarios. But it's not, it's one of its main mechanics, but really it's three parts, combat, dialogue, and decision-making. That sounds great. I, I'm excited because I, I've been kind of taking a break from games just because we had we had such a dense couple of months with a ton of games that I've just been kind of watching TV and movies and things, but I'm gearing up because Triangle Strategy is on my back burner. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is coming out soon. Live Alive is coming out in a week. So it's going to be that? another Live Alive. It's a Japanese hit that was never really released in the West. And so now I remember its logo. Yeah. Live Alive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It looks really cool. And I guess one of the things that really intrigues me about it is that Toby Fox, <laughs> friend of the show, <laughs> I guess in spirit, with how much <laughs> without we, knowing uh, it, <laughs> with how much we reference him, he claims that Live Alive is one of his earliest, earliest influences. That alone is enough for me to pick it up. So it's going to be a, a JRPG heavy couple of months that we're going into here. Is that Live Alive thing? Is that the game where you basically have this retro JRPG aesthetics and it spans a whole range of different time periods. Yeah, I think it, I don't know much about it, but from what I've gleaned from the art style and the setup, it seems to be, I, and I don't want to get, <laughs> I don't want to get lampooned for saying this if it's not true for the Live Alive fans that are listening, but I think it has a lot in common with Chrono Trigger from what I can tell. Very time travel based, the art style is very similar, and I think it's, more of a an action-based RPG. So 
It looks really cool, and that's coming out on the 22nd of July. Wow, so many games to play. This time around, we're actually going to talk about fake news because there was some incidents recently that we need to discuss. And also, we're going to take a glimpse over the last couple of years. We're going today talk about why fake news or engaging with fake news, criticizing them is so important. We're going to, of course, talk about the incident revolving around the assassination of Shinzo Abe, the former Japanese prime minister, and the, I would say, absurd conspiracy theory that suddenly emerged or fake news that emerged that Hideo Kojima is the one that actually killed him. Yeah, he's, listen, he's a weird man, but he's not an, he's not a political assassin. Let's get that out right out of the gate. <laughs> That would probably be quite a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, imagine if like, you know, David Cage turns out to be Jack the Ripper or something. <laughs> just like, Although now hell? that you say that, Stefan. <laughs> uh, you, know, you never know. It's going to be a show filled with fake news. That's and right. <laughs> of course, when the show is filled with fake news, such as this one, we're going to, in a second half, get into Russia and how Russia keeps using video game footage for the purpose of war propaganda. And afterwards, we're going to look into also some peculiar occurrences within Western media. So that's the structure for today's show. Before we get into that, though, let me remind you that studying pixels is free and that if you want to help us make it happen, because, yeah, we do need some kind of money at the end of the day, then you can join Studying Pixels Plus. What you will get there is all of our episodes entirely ad-free without any interruptions. You will get a lovely sticker that says, I am studying pixels, and you'll get monthly plus episodes. Some of them go into depth on video game culture. Others, they actually help you study. I think our current one is on Persona 5, right? Oh, sorry, on the Persona series, how Persona works. Yes, a deep dive into that crazy funny series. <laughs> That if you haven't touched, you should. And if you're curious, listen to our episode. Yes. And you can go to studyingpixels.com slash plus to find out more how to do that. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Today we're going to talk about fake news, and we can't talk about fake news without a brief conversation on information first, because information really is the most valuable good of our time. I would say we live in a time of really an inflation of information, because we're surrounded by information. It's everywhere. It's all over the place on social media, on the internet, there's constantly new information fluctuating in and demanding our attention. And at the same time, 
it is so difficult to discern between authentic, between believable, between credible information, between truth and false. I think this is one of the big challenges of our time, that we are, as human beings, taxed with the task that we have to stay on top of things and be like engaged citizens in political conversations. And at the same time, we are also asked to be able to discern much more than in previous generations, possibly, what is actually real and what is fake. Because we don't have these, I mean, we do have still gatekeepers, major publishing houses, major media corporations, and some of them are more reliable than others. And they have this kind of job of gatekeeping what goes out into the public and what doesn't. But in a day where literally anyone can tweet a video or a photo, and it can go viral, and it can be clicked and shared much more than any other news story by a professional news organization that day, things become quite quite troublesome. Absolutely. And the thing about when we use the term gatekeeping, I think that there's a negative connotation with that. Like you're some sort of elitist who's keeping information away from people. And I, I guess you could argue that there is a certain level of that with the media. But one of the things that you also have to recognize is that classical media outlets gatekeeping information is just as much of an effort to fact check and make sure everything is correct before the information is sent out. The ethics of journalism dictate that you don't submit information without having verified it or reasonably verified it. And you don't have to do that if you're just Joe Schmo on Twitter with a video game footage that you want to use to <laughs> indicate something terrible is happening. Yeah, gatekeeping, it's interesting that you bring that up, that it indeed has this negative connotation. I meant it in a totally like objective way, yes. in a very descriptive way. It is true that gatekeeping, it's mainly a form of reducing complexity because the world is very complex. Our senses, for example, our brain does a whole lot of gatekeeping because it prevents from, imagine you you have to memorize every single thing around you at all times. Oh my God. So that would be terrible. <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't function. It's like babies, right? Babies have sensory overload because their brains haven't adapted to what's important <laughs> and what isn't yet. <laughs> and then they cry all the time. Yeah, yeah. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't want to cry all the time. So our brains are a little bit more adept. They are like, you know what? This is just not important to me. I'm just going to completely phase that out. Yes. And then you forget about things quickly that are not important. It's just not saved in your memory. And in, in, the similar, in a similar way, it can work when you have some kind of gate that is kept where it's like, okay, so we've got a whole flood of information at our gates and we can then try, okay, and see what kind of information is not only true, but also what kind of information is important to whom, what is the source of that information as you already illustrated. And then for those things, we let through the gates and we distribute it to a broad audience. That's how traditional news outlets and publishing houses would operate. That's not the case anymore. And it can be especially problematic when different systems interact with one another or collide in their principles. Because the thing is that if you think of politics, and we're going to think a lot about politics today, the, the political system, it operates primarily on the premise of power, right? That's not a normative statement. It's not an insult or something. It's just clear that the political system is there to govern, to regulate, and politicians are there to get elected or re-elected. If you don't get any votes, if you don't have public opinion on your side, then you have no influence and you're insignificant in the political system. So you need to try and get power. But power can sometimes be entirely independent of truth. Truth is 
just not the currency that politics deal in, right? Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Smartly placed political lie can be a lot more effective in getting you where you want to be and ultimately maybe do good or bad. Who knows? Sounds a bit Machiavellian now. Well, it is. <laughs> it is Machiavellian, yeah. yes. Than, than telling the truth. And that's why fakes and fake news are often deliberately placed for the sake of some political or ideological agenda. And other times, there, there are also fakes and fake news that do not primarily pursue that kind of purpose, that emerge beyond the domain of, let's say, uh, specific political ideas. Sometimes they're just trolling. We also have some examples of that. And trolling in itself can also be a problem, though. Very much. Yeah, trolling can be really annoying. I imagine it always to be like static noise. We've got like communication going on and people talking to each other. And trolling is just like a noise that's like constantly in the background. It's always there. This noise can't be eliminated entirely. But the more of it we have, the more trolling plays its part in the discourses that we have online, but also in real life, the more it becomes difficult to discern what is important and what is not. Well, the deeply troubling thing about it too is that think about all the, okay, going back to our brain analogy of filtering things out, phasing things out and focusing on what's important. I always think of it like, you're trapped between radio stations when you're using the dial, where on one one station it's clear and you're hearing something. It may not be something you like, but it's coming through loud and clear. But then if you dial it just a little bit off center, suddenly you hear all of the white noise and you have to kind of work to get rid of the white noise to get back to the clear message. And that work to get rid of the white noise is so exhausting. It puts your guard down in a way where the noise eats away at your defense system and you start believing whatever you hear because you just don't have the energy to discern it. And that's really troubling to me. Yeah, it is a certain form of disrupting discourse. Yes. Sometimes the idea is not so much to convince people with a fake. Sometimes the point is just to disrupt the conversation or to turn it into some kind of different direction. It's like as if you think, okay, people will clearly not believe this, but maybe I find it funny to fabricate something, just make it up, throw it out there, and it will throw people off track. They will be distracted. They'll be talking about this thing instead of what might actually be important. And, you know, it's a little bit like a smoke grenade into a communicative structure. Yeah, absolutely. And as a society, this can really escalate into, uh, well, a phenomenon that has been described for many years now, which is kind of the age of fake news or post-truth, which I find very problematic. I find all of these terms actually quite euphemistic. What is the post-truth, you know? It's, yeah. it's like, it's just, we're, we're turning our backs to the truth. And it's not fake news. It's like fake as if that was an adjective that modifies the noun news. But it's not actually news at all. It's just a fake, you know? It's just fake. Yeah. It's all, as you say, the, the smokescreen from the flash grenade. It's just sleight of hand and making people confused to the point where exactly you're not even paying attention to the word where it's morphed into news that is fake instead of just it's all fake. It's all just noise. That's the danger even even there is that I think about the comedian George Carlin, who he talked about language all the time. And one of his big issues was how language gets softened and changed to the point where you're not even talking about what you think you're talking about when you're talking about it. <laughs> it's so dangerous and it happens in the blink of an eye. And it can throw us into the spiral of, I would call it, epistemic uncertainty. What I mean by that is 
we as a society, we have to base our decisions, our reasonings and our conversations on something. And usually that something would be the truth. We, if you make an argument and your claim is just not true, then it's a weak claim. It will be basically wiped off the table. And then we hopefully have a good foundation to base our decisions on. Now, what if that foundation as such is eroded? And if we do not know, and that's all what epistemic means, epistemic is kind of the idea of how to produce knowledge. How do we know things? And if we're uncertain of how we know things, if we are uncertain what we can even know, then we come to this effect where people just give up on it. It's like if we take that radio analogy that you established, Dan, where it's not just the white noise in between the stations, but there's more white noise than there are stations. Right. And you never get a clear image and it becomes some huge, just communicative mess and people turn their backs. And suddenly we've got a phenomenon where a huge group of people claim something that seems entirely ridiculous, such as the COVID vaccine contains parts of baby brains yeah right for example yeah or the covid vaccine the covid vaccine actually doesn't really work all these kinds of things there are nazis at work in ukraine and we need to denazify ukraine whatever you want to use examples where it just seems impressive that anyone would believe that but yes over years the foundation of what we assume we know has been systematically eroded and at that point you have a hard time to come to terms and to even have any kind of conversation because you can politically disagree as long as you can agree to the facts. Like, we know this and this is happening, so is it a good thing or is it not? Should we close schools in light of the next corona wave? If we can agree, so the virus can be transmitted through children that infect each other, and that's a danger to older people because it can be transmitted into the families, but it also has negative effects, psychological effects, and people, you know, economic stuff, all kinds of things. If we can agree to those facts, then we can have an informed disagreement. But if then someone comes in and says, you know, that COVID virus, I think it's all fake. I think it's all, I think it's just made up by Bill Gates to scare us all. <laughs> With that person, you can't have a discussion because you don't have a factual basis on which you can even disagree. It goes to the degree that you can't even disagree with a person if there's no overlap between what you believe is real. Yeah. I mean, we saw it in action. I, I think this is inarguable because what you just described, Stefan, I think is why so much inaction was taken during the pandemic. Because no one, no, no one was willing to shake one another and say, you're insane. <laughs> this is your premise is flawed. <laughs> You're wrong, you know. And I think that it just has these far-reaching effects where as you say, more static than there is clear noise. Yeah, especially when prominent voices pick up on these matters. We've had incidents of that in in Germany as well. But of course the most well-renowned one is that when Donald Trump goes to a press conference and as the president of the United States says something like, "Well, can't we maybe just inject people with bleach because seemingly that works oh very my well." God, yeah. Or with disinfectants, where you just think uh, like that that is such an absurd thing. <laughs> but then the really frustrating thing is then, you know, all of the people in the room have to say, "Okay, well because you're the president, now we have to have the conversation about why that's not going to work. And then it stops being, what should we do? And the conversation becomes why that's ridiculous or why that's not a good line of thought. This is just one of many examples of how this kind of, uh, no pun intended, injecting 
this fakery into the conversation completely derails any useful conversation that would come out of it. Exactly, yeah. So I think we can pretty firmly establish that what we are casually referring to as fake news, that it is not such a casual phenomenon, that it is actually a very serious threat to the foundations of any democratic society, that it is often even an indicator of the establishment of an autocratic society, and that it makes it really hard for any kind of group of people to have profound but reasonable disagreements. Yes. It makes disagreements difficult because you can't even talk about what's real and what is not. And now what have video games got to do with this? Well, that's a really good question. The thing is that they have got as much to do with it as most other media. Like, well, mostly fake news are spread through, you know, news media, independent blogs, social media, in the form of videos, of images and text. But especially in recent years, there were some occurrences where the domain of video games and or video game culture, video game industry on the one hand, and the domain of fake news, I'm just going to use the term here, you know what I mean, where they intersected or overlapped. And one of them was actually just, what was that, one or two weeks ago? A week ago, I think, right? Yes, the impetus for this episode. Yeah. The idea that I, I would hope when I say this to you, you will think, you'll laugh if you haven't heard this already and think that's ridiculous. But then I want you to take a moment to step back and realize you think that, but there are other people who are not so easily swayed. Or maybe they are so easily swayed, and that's the problem. Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister of Japan, was assassinated by a man named Yamagami Tetsuya. And there was news spread around that the far left was responsible for this assassination. But even further than that, there were pictures of Hideo Kojima, the creator of Metal Gear Solid and Death Stranding, the weird uncle that we all know and love. There were pictures of him floating around with the accusation that he was the one who committed this assassination. And obviously, that's not true. But there's so many different layers of fakery being employed here that I think it's worth looking into and worth talking about why it's so dangerous. So, Stefan, are you familiar with the tweet that kind of propagated this? I think, wasn't it by some kind of uh, French politician or something? Yes. So a French politician named Damien Rieu, apologies to the French listeners, we, we've, I think we've had before, We're neither of us are good at French. So he had tweeted in French that the far left was responsible for the assassination of Shinzo Abe. And underneath that tweet, he had posted three photos of Hideo Kojima that have been around the internet for a long time of him wearing sort of like a red communist hat or wearing a shirt with Che Guevara on it. Or there's a third one of him sort of admiringly looking at a photo of Che Guevara. So it's no secret to those of us who've played Metal Gear Solid that Kojima is clearly a fan of Che Guevara. Peace Walker, if you listen to the tapes in the Peace Walker game, it's basically just here's how awesome Che was. <laughs> and <laughs> he's definitely, I would say, I don't know his his politics inside and out, but Kojima is certainly a left-leaning person. That's, I think, fair to say through his work and through his political sort of public outreach. He's certainly on one side of the spectrum. So here we have an instance of this French politician using these photos that had been out there to associate Kojima-san with Yamagami Tetsuya, the guy who actually killed Abe. May we? Is it true that this was like super shortly after... Shinzo Abe was actually shot, like on the same day or just a couple of hours later? It was, yes, the turnaround was incredible. It was, I believe it was the same day. 
that this happened. It was almost in this kind of wave where something so big happens, like this former prime minister of Japan getting publicly, very publicly assassinated. Yes. And that there was the uh, culprit, he was taken away mm. by the police and there's video footage of it and that people were immediately speculating who was that. And it was just like, oh yeah, probably that other Japanese guy that we know, <laughs> the one who makes video games. <laughs> well, and I almost even wonder, Stefan, if, because my thought is, let's not even give them enough credit for that. My thinking is, because this politician, Damien Rieu, I don't know enough about his politics, but from what I gather online, he's a far-right French politician. And mm. I honestly think he just found a picture of a Japanese man that had left symbolism in it. And so there's also a level of racism here that's going on, I would, I would make the argument, because, well, it's got to be this guy, you know, to prove my point. Or even if it's like... I'm not going to prove my point. I'm going to disseminate this information to make you think like, all right, my followers are not going to look into the different Japanese people. If I show them a picture of a Japanese man looking at Che Guevara and tell them he was responsible or the far left was responsible, then that's all they need. So yeah. it's so apparent to me, like once you start sort of peeling back the layers of what's going on here, the idea was certainly to capitalize on this heinous act and make it even more political than it already was by lying and using Kojima as the scapegoat for the far left. And here you can see perfectly how incidents are basically used for a completely different political agenda at the other end of the world, basically. What has Damien Rieu got to do with Shinzo Abe? And well, I mean, there are probably some political alignments there. But just simply saying, okay, this is like a good opportunity. We're just going to use that because it serves our own ideas of trying to blame the left or like, you know, communists in general, because that is in favor of our own power. This is exactly what I meant at the beginning when I said that politics deal in power, not in truth. Whether that is actually correct or not doesn't matter so long as you can have this big headline and so long that you can have like, oh, this is someone with a Che Guevara shirt who assassinated a much beloved without being too controversial about the contents of what Shinzo Abe's politics were, mm. but at least a popular, very popular political figure in Japan. Certainly. The other thing that is really important to note here is that, as you mentioned, it's all a, a power play. And of course, Ryu went back on his statement. He said it was a joke and he... I think there were a lot very of funny. Yeah, very, a good joke. Where's the, where's the joke? I wonder. Um, <laughs> yeah, where's the pun? Where's the pun? And then there were also Greek and Iranian news outlets that that picked up on the story from Damien Ryu, and they also retracted it. But the problem that I have, and I know you have too, Stefan, is that at that point it almost doesn't matter because that's already been out there. And so now Kojima and Kojima Productions they have to deal with the fallout of this. And there are going to be people who don't follow the story past that initial tweet from Ryu. So they're going to think that this Japanese man they're seeing is the one who did it, right? They're going to assume that it's someone on the far left when, I mean, I haven't done as much research into Yamagami's intent, but I do not think that is the case here. And it's so destructive already to the point where, speaking of trolls, 4chan got Kojima's picture. They superimposed his face onto actual photos of Yamagami being arrested. So that propagated it further. That's kind of where the trolling that we talked about comes into it. And now we're at the point where Kojima Productions had to tweet out a response saying, 
Kojima Productions strongly condemns the spread of fake news and rumors that convey false information. We do not tolerate such libel and will consider taking legal action in some cases. So on the one hand, good on you, Kojima Productions. I think that's a very fair response. But on the other hand, what a shame that they had to make that response at all, because this this is all fake <laughs> from the start. Yeah, it's all fake. And I think it's good that they are taking this seriously and not letting people off the hook by just saying, lol, it was a joke. Yeah. Because you have to be aware of the consequences of such utterances, especially if you are a politician, if you've got some kind of following. I understand there are people on some kind of 4chan boards that just want to see the world burn. You know, fair enough. Those are trolls. And people know when things come from 4chan, they know that they need to be very cautious before they spread anything. Most people know that at least. But when a high-ranking politician, especially from a Western political system, where there's commonly a whole lot of trust placed in high-ranking politicians, that is super problematic. And it just shows a lack in awareness of the responsibility that you as a politician have for maintaining a civil discourse. And I think, because I want to be realistic here, because the older I get, the more I think about this. And I think the, the more media training that you do for yourself or you engage with, I think you have to ask yourself the question, is this ignorance or is this deliberate? And when I think about a politician, my default is this was deliberate because they were thinking, well, I can just walk it back. If I get called out, it'll just be a joke. And the fact of the matter is the message is out there once you've said it. That's the issue with the internet. So now all of this fallout is happening. There are so many other instances, not to be political, but in, in more sort of recreational online spaces like YouTube or Twitch, where rumors get out, the cycle of hype comes up and that's all everybody's talking about. Then maybe two months later, the person who was attacked comes out and shows all of these defenses for themselves and they, they kind of tell a more nuanced view of what happened. And that gets buried because nobody cares anymore. And so they've, that person is already slotted into a particular um, viewpoint in their mind and no, no amount of walking back or explanation is going to help. Whereas I would argue if the explanation had been allowed to happen first, it would have been a much different conversation. And here we are on a political scale, which has obviously much more intense ramifications for people. I think the entire incident of the assassination of Shinzo Abe will have profound ramifications in, in so many ways. I mean, of course, in the political landscape of Japan, which is a country that is, that is very well known for its exceedingly low gun crime. I've actually looked at some statistics recently because I spoke to a friend from Japan and uh, we had a conversation about comparing gun violence and these things. It's like, Without being able to recite the data, but just as an impression, you can imagine that obviously the U.S. is like worldwide leader. Yeah, in, uh, uh, we're, we're, we in, win. In, <laughs> <laughs> like in, in gun crime, then, you know, way down the list somewhere, it's like Germany, which is, has a very low gun crime. And even lower than that is Japan. So it is exceedingly rare that something like this happens. It's not unheard of. I think it has happened. A couple of years ago, like a mayor was shot, I think, or a leader of a political party was shot. But it's exceedingly rare. It's not like this is something that just occurs and then goes away without much impact. No, and I think 
the important thing to note also is that th this, no pun intended, this shoot from the hip mentality of, oh, I have to have a hot take on what's going on. It's so destructive because you need to take into account, okay, who was Shinzo Abe? What were his politics? Who is Tetsuya Yamagami? What are his politics? How did he shoot Abe? Well, he created a homemade gun to do this, right? So there's all of these different factors that if you don't do a deep dive into it, you're not going to understand what's going on. And this, is, this isn't just true of Japanese politics. It's true of anywhere. I'm of the belief that you can't just talk about something to talk about it because that's, it's become a Twitter moment and everyone has to have a take on it. You know, that has much more destructive capability than just doing your own research, shutting up, and maybe not having an opinion on something that you don't know anything about. So that's, that's frustrating to me as well. It does more harm than good to just say something when you don't know anything. It's okay to not know anything. <laughs> that's a really important thing. Yeah, I was just going to emphasize that because I, I think one thing to me is really clear, and that is it is not funny because it has been discussed, at least in my timeline, whether it's a funny thing or a good thing that Shinzo Abe has been assassinated. Well, in my mind, no, definitely no. not. Like, <laughs> you can legitimately, or you can argue about, is it a good thing that someone was killed in case they were about to bring, like, pretty significant and immediate harm to other people? Yeah, okay, then we can talk about that. Like, if someone is like, I'm going to sneak into that house and murder the entire family unless someone shoots me. Well, you know, then maybe we can have a conversation about that. But that's not what Shinzo Abe was doing. He was, like, holding a political speech. <laughs> so, clearly... This is neither uh, funny nor good. And I think that's the most important thing because I think you said something that really resonated with me just now. It is okay not to have an immediate opinion. And if we as people who are on a podcast, if we as podcasters have opinions on everything all the time. <laughs> that's our job. <laughs> <laughs> that's our job. That's, that's how we roll. But, but if even we can say, if people who are speaking on a podcast right here with a great interest into Japan and you also with the experience of living there and knowing your way around Japanese politics a whole lot more than I do, if we can sit here and say, we can't give like a, a profound opinion on the matter, you know, yeah. then... Then you can as well, and you don't have to blur about everything that is discussed in your timeline immediately and repost and, and, and do that kind of stuff. Rather, sometimes it's good, actually, I think, to sit back and to let this kind of gatekeeping happen that we spoke about at the beginning, where professionals, professional journalists, professional investigators do their job, and then eventually to think about the conclusion and to rely on secure information rather than having an opinion on everything immediately on uh, on Twitter or on Twitch. Yes. And I think that's the the breaking news mentality also leads to a lot of the fake news stuff. And I think you have to understand, I have, I'll toot my own horn a little bit, I have a little more knowledge than most in this case because of the things you just described. This is a huge point of interest for me. I keep up with these things. But I would say that here was my gut reaction to this. My When I heard this, I was in disbelief because I think you should always be in disbelief if anyone is assassinated, even if they were a horrible person. I think you need to take into account... Let me, let me be very clear. I do not agree with anything Shinzo Abe did. I think he was not a very good man, but I do not think that warrants assassination. And I think that you have to take into account 
how are the Japanese people responding to this? There was an election upcoming at the time. How is that going to affect things? I can tell you what, it's, it, it's going to have an effect. And you have to remember that this is not just a headline. This is an event with long-running impact on a lot of people. And I think, in a way, that's why the Kojima story is so compelling to us. Because here's an example of, in real time, the effects of fake news having a real impact on one man in particular. That's happening to a lot of people, though. You know, Kojima's just front-facing, and we see it. But this thought process of just putting things into different buckets and then walking away from it is so detrimental to your worldview. I can't, I can't begin to explain how bad that can be for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I wouldn't dare to have an opinion. I, of course, dug into it a little bit because it intrigued me and because I'm also very interested in, in Japanese culture and the, the language and the politics. However, the only thing that came to my mind where I thought I can pretty much, that is the thing that I can have an opinion on with the basis of things that I know or I believe that I know is that I find it such a shame when when you see the context in which Shinzo Abe did the speech that he was doing, it was like very close to a whole group of people. It, he was like not, he had security detail around him surely, but it was not like super detached from the people. And whenever such a thing happens, I always think like, oh, what a shame, you know, it's it's really good when there's a close connection between politicians and political discourse on the one hand and civil discourse and people on the other and, and there shouldn't be this like huge line of separation where you need to place a politician several meters away on a pedestal with a like a ideally like in some kind of box that's like secure from gunfire you know <laughs> in like a pope mobile yeah. yeah yeah like a pope mobile <laughs> that is like bulletproof and you can't even see the person or i think that is annoying, and that is that is the extent to which I can have an opinion on the matter. Apart from that, I wouldn't dare to speak my mind on anything regarding Shinzo Abe because I don't know enough. Yeah. But, I mean, fair point, right? I think that's another layer of this that can only come from thinking more about it and looking into things, because you just raised a good point for me. How is this going to affect other Japanese politicians from speaking in public. I guarantee you it'll have some kind of impact. I, you know, I think of that scene in Yakuza Like a Dragon where the, where Ichiban and, and the rival are standing on these buses in public in a park. And they're having the political battle, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I imagine that, you know, that's not an uncommon occurrence for people kind of stumping in public. And I, I guarantee you this will have an effect on that. Well, unfortunately, this was also not the first time that Kojima Productions was involved in one way or another in fake news, because actually in 2014, Russia Today did an interview with a former child soldier, like an actual child soldier who grew up and became a rapper. And they were doing this interview and they... Russia Today, they illustrated this interview. You know how it sometimes happens when they're like still images with like this Ken Burns effect where yeah. it zooms, slowly zooms in on the picture and such things. To illustrate the story, they used a screenshot of child soldiers in Metal Gear Solid Five. For whatever reason, they said like, instead of showing actual uh, pictures of child soldiers or of that rapper when he was young, they instead went straight to Metal Gear Solid 5. Yes, we're here interviewing <laughs> Liquid Snake, who's going to tell us all about <laughs> yeah. his experience. 
in outer heaven. We've got so many more examples of these because next we're going to turn towards times of war and we're going to have a whole lot to say about Russia. But before we go in that, we're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we are back talking about fake news and video games. You know, fake news and fakes in general are especially popular during times of war. Because we spoke about the significance of information, right? And the thing is that in times of war, there is kind of a two-sided phenomenon that occurs. On the one hand, there's a profound lack of information. It is as if the information is entirely sucked out of it because many media stations, they have to withdraw their reporters and it's pretty difficult to verify in any information. And at the same time, there is like a complete overload of information because both parties involved, they want to see their own perspective represented and they shoot a lot of information out there for people to hopefully see. And there's a lot of amateur footage that gets shared on social media, which is, again, often difficult to verify. So it gets media stations and outlets into this double bind of on the one hand, they want to report, they have to report, that is their job. And on the other hand, it is so difficult, a lot more difficult than in times of peace to discern what is true and what is not. 
I think too, the, the other thing to take into account is that it's not just the, it's not just the media outlets who want to be reporting on it. People want to hear about it too. People are hungry for information. Yeah. It's so important because isn't it this kind of saying that in times of war, truth is the first sacrifice? Yes. I think we, we, uh, <laughs> I think you brought that up when we initially reported on this story of fake video game footage being used to show the quote unquote war in Ukraine. Yeah, exactly. Because that's also the story that I wanted to bring up here. Again, we addressed it on the show before, but it's of course very significant here. We're going to talk about Russia and we're going to start with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And in this context, there was a video of the military simulation Armed Assault 3, often abbreviated as Armor 3 by Bohemia Interactive. This game was published in 2015, so it's a fairly old, fairly established. A lot of people actually know this game because they might have played or heard of the modification called DayZ, which is like a zombie mod <laughs> for Armor 3. But it, the base game is actually a pretty dry military simulation. And in February 2022, a video popped up on Facebook Gaming, and that video showed how an airplane gets fired at from the ground against a night sky. A pretty impressive video, very visually impressive. Yes. And that video, it was quickly circulated online as Ukrainian ground troops shooting at a Russian aircraft. Actually, though, that was a gameplay video from Armor 3. And for a couple of days, the video kept circulating on Facebook, on Twitter, and many other platforms. And it was watched by over 110,000 people and shared over 25,000 times just on Facebook. So that's not even counting any potential other platforms where it was shared before eventually it was taken down by the platform as it had been taken completely out of context. That is a super dangerous thing. And I don't know whether you've seen the video, but it has one key marker that always must make you cautious in case you see any kind of video footage and you're not sure, is this a game or is this real? Because that video had a suspiciously low resolution. Often with fake videos, the resolution is kept deliberately low so that you can't clearly identify and that it becomes harder to discern whether this is actually real or not. So it's part of looking realistic that the resolution is reduced. I would like to shout out, there's a great YouTuber called Captain Disillusion. He's fantastic. He's been on YouTube, I think as long as YouTube's been around. And his whole gimmick is that he takes videos that have been digitally manipulated and he debunks them. And he basically explains from a visual effects artist perspective why you should be critical of these things and how to how to notice these common elements of fake videos and number one with a bullet if it's low resolution or if it's shaky footage you know that there's some manipulation going on there yeah you have to at least you have to be extra careful because the thing is that images have a strong persuasive effect with art written articles with texts with statements or even with oral arguments, it is often easier to argue against them or to question the reality of their foundation. However, with videos, we tend to see a video and to just automatically believe that this is what happened because it's a video. Videos are recorded simultaneously as the thing happens 
that they are recording, right? Yes. And fabricating a video or altering a video is something that has been for many years rather difficult. However, the more technology progresses, the easier it gets to the degree that this is a funny thing that actually happened just recently, right? Where a high-ranking German politician, she had a meeting, a conversation with Vladimir Klitschko, mm. who's one of the uh, mayor of a major uh, Ukrainian city. They had like an actual like Zoom meeting kind of thing. However, it turned out the meeting was then aborted because the conversation flowed in a weird way and they were getting suspicious. It turned out it was a deep fake. Oh my God. It was just some kind of internet rando who had pretended to be the, the mayor and superimposed the mayor's face over his own and, and just basically snuck his way into having a formal diplomatic meeting with a high member of the German parliament. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. And scary. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's scary. You, you almost think incompetence for something like that, where you think, well, thank God you weren't more of a, we, we mentioned Machiavelli. Thank God you weren't more of a Machiavelli or we would have, that would have been really dangerous. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really, but for the grace of uh, stupidity, go I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately it is the case that Russia especially has attempted to deliberately pass video game footage as real war footage several times. These are not individual incidences. Uh, incidents. This is not just something that happens by accident. Here's just a little bit, just three examples over the last couple of years in a chronological fashion. In 2018, the Kremlin-controlled media station, Channel One TV, they aired footage of, guess what, Armor 3, and they claimed that it was war footage from the war in Syria, in which Russia is obviously strongly involved. In 2017, and this is actually, I think this is probably probably one of my favorites. In 2017, the Russian Ministry of Defense, the official Facebook and Twitter account of the Russian Ministry of Defense, posted footage that claimed that this is evidence of the U.S. troops supporting ISIS. I don't know whether anyone still remembers ISIS, but that was like the big thing in 2017. Actually, this footage was from a game called AC-130 Gunship Simulator, which is totally peculiar that they actually, they initially like tweeted that. That was not just simply something that was circulating. And in 2016, so another year before that, Russia shared footage that allegedly showed a truck transporting chemical weapons in Syria. And that footage... It was taken from the strategy game Command and Conquer. So this is not just like isolated stuff. This is not an accident. This is not something that happens as an exception. But we found incidents from almost every year. And these are only selective. This is only a selective list here. From almost every year where Russia distributed fake footage or video game footage and claimed that it was real war footage. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, you know twice as a coincidence but three times as a pattern kind of situation yeah and we know we know russia i think it's not a big secret that they use this sort of obfuscation to just i mean really confuse and and muddy the waters so you mentioned earlier the context of how these things are presented and i think that really matters because if i for example if i'm orson wells and I want to produce a radio play about Mars attacking 
the United States. And I do so in a way that is, it's not announced throughout the show that it's fake. And it's during a time in America where there are heightened war tensions and people ready to assume that there are going to be invaders. And I use, you know, convincing sound effects and convincing testimonials. People are going to panic (laughs) and think that it's real, which actually happened. The War of the Worlds broadcast. Now, if he, if that had just been clear that it was a broadcast and not had that effective realism. I don't think Orson Welles meant to cause a riot. I know he didn't, but it did all the same. If you show somebody footage from a video game and just say, hey, isn't this nuts? They're going to say, yeah, but it's a video game. But if you couch it in all of this fake news around it, people are going to be much more inclined to believe that it is what you are telling them it is. Exactly. And the thing is that people don't even have to believe it, right? That's that's the good thing about it from a Russian perspective. If you say, we're going to tweet this out, probably it's going to be debunked within the next couple of hours. We know that, you know, people know these games, there are these internet kids, <laughs> and they will probably find out that this is actually Command and Conquer. <laughs> then uh, that's okay, because the thing is that they will then point this out, and we will just maybe tweet an apology. As you said already, you know, we can just tweet an apology, we retract, or we just don't say anything, and we just keep firing these things out there. And some of the things might be real footage, and others might be not. And over time, it just becomes completely irrelevant what the footage, what the origin of it was, so long as the message sticks, and that is, there are chemical weapons in Syria, or U.S. troops are supporting ISIS. We've got this footage here. Okay, this footage has been debunked. Yeah, but what about this? And then over time, it accumulates. And then if you run into a discussion and you want to say like, well, are U.S. troops really supporting ISIS? What you have to do is you suddenly are in the situation, in a defensive rhetorical situation where you have to, on the spot, debunk all of these different things that they've thrown out there. And that's the way how to deconstruct, how to break a conversation and how to basically steer it in your own direction. Yes, I think President Lyndon Johnson actually said of this kind of tactic, make the bastard deny it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's exactly what it is. Like you're already on the back foot if you have to start from explaining why all of this is fake, you know? It's a deeply frustrating tactic. Yeah. Very deliberately used by Russian propaganda. To be fair though, there are of course Uh, many incidents that we also looked into where video game footage has been distributed on uh, Western news companies, Western news channels and broadcasts. And some of them are actually quite hilarious. These these feel like mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. I also noted down... With the exception of one of them, maybe. Yeah, they they are probably mishaps for one reason or another. For example, in 2012, there was a news segment on the BBC where they wanted to show the logo of the United Nations Security Council, so UNSC. <laughs> and what they it was like amongst other logos on the screen in the back of the studio, but what they yeah. actually showed was the logo of the United Nations Space Command from Halo, <laughs> from the video game, <laughs> where the only rational explanation that you can find for that is that maybe uh, someone new on the team or some like some intern where it was like, hey, we need the we need the logo of the UN Security Council. And they just Google, okay, so UNSC logo. Logo, <laughs> and, and yeah. And put it up. And then it's like the United Nations Space Program from Halo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
And later we have an interview with uh, John Spartan 117, <laughs> who will be telling us all about the new Security Council measures being yeah, taken. Yeah, they got like the Master Chief coming on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another one that happened in 2013 on TV2 in Denmark. They used a screenshot from Assassin's Creed showing the city of Damascus, which is where that game takes place largely. And uh, they claimed that it was Syria. And obviously fans of Assassin's Creed, and I think maybe even some Ubisoft employees <laughs> pointed out, hey, that's actually our game. <sighs> and so they immediately retracted it and apologized. <laughs> so good on you, Ubisoft, I guess, for getting one over on uh, Denmark <laughs> news broadcasters. Yeah, I mean, biggest compliment ever. You make a video game, yeah, right. it looks so good that people just think it's an actual picture of, Zy of Syria, of Damascus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In 2016, the CNN, they ran a piece on hacking because the concern was, of course, and that actually has materialized, that there are orchestrated attacks of Russian hackers. And uh, they wanted to illustrate this a little bit. So they used footage from a Flash game that was based on the hacking minigame in Fallout 3. So, you know, most of these things here are not harmful in the way that they base a kind of actual information on that footage. Rather, the footage is often used for illustrative purposes and probably not given much weight. And that's why it's not so thoroughly checked than the actual sources for the story that they are telling. There's a really funny incident of, uh, I think I think that's actually maybe a, a, a better use of video game footage to illustrate the idea of what most people think hacking is. Because I can think of another American broadcast where it was about Facebook hacking and people going into other people's accounts. This was years and years ago, maybe like 2010, 2011. And the way, the way that they filmed the, quote, hacking was a guy with like a handy cam just zooming in and out of a computer screen. And then there was a distorting <laughs> effect on it. So that, you know, I, I think it evolves with people's perception of, oh, that's hacking. That mm. must be what it is. Uh, but everyone knows that is absurd. <laughs> everyone knows that the actual way of how to do hacking is the first thing you need is like a hoodie. And then that's right. And yep. then you need to have some kind of like matrix style thing on your computer where you <laughs> hack, hack the keyboard. And then over time, and, something will happen and you'll be in some kind of banking server. That's right. And you're not actually done hacking until you've said, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> and until you have connected a wire to some kind of like telephone booth outside, you know? That's right. Yep. <laughs> that's the exactly hoodie is key. <laughs> yep. Well, one that I have that's, it, this, is, this is the one that's not so, it, it's funny in an ironic way. So in July 2014, Fox News, the infamous Fox News, ran an immigration story about the immigration policy in the U.S. And this was around the time when the governor of the then governor of Texas basically called out Obama to come down and, you know, see what the border looks like in person. So typical kind of Fox News right-leaning showboating. But the funniest part of it was they had an, a logo for the segment called Defending the Homeland. And it is beat for beat the Bioshock Infinite logo. It just has defending the homeland in the Bioshock Infinite font with the Columbia flag behind it. And, you know, we were talking about irony earlier, Stefan. I can't begin to explain how funny it is that Fox News took a logo from Comstock's Columbia yeah. to talk about defending the homeland. 
That's ridiculous. Well, is this? But this is actually the the, the logo of the, as it is printed on the cover image, basically. Yeah. So they they took it's as if they took like the font. Yeah. That Bioshock Infinite was written in, and they put defending the homeland, and then behind it is the banner for Bioshock Infinite with the ripped up flag and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh God. Yeah. So they they really took the message uh, very literally or they they, they rather yes. they turned the message of of bioshock infinite into its opposite and basically they became the comstock the satire they, beca they became yeah. the satire itself yes yes as so often happens with bioshock i'm afraid that is that is true dedication right <laughs> put it one <laughs> Let's way become the satire yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> We also got a tweet from Mateus Luna. It's something that I had seen at the time, but I've forgotten about it. But Mateus Luna reminds us, he says, I love this clip from a very sensationalist TV show from Brazil in which the host shows the test that drivers have to pass to become the US president's driver. And it's actually footage from Forza 6. <laughs> End quote from his tweet. So... This is, you have to imagine, if you haven't seen the video, this is really an incredible video because you see how a limousine, like a long black limousine, drives backwards in like an absolutely insane manner across a racing course. Yeah, stunt like driving. drifting and doing all this. Yeah. Like stunt driving. Completely backwards at high speed. And the thing is, I can just so imagine how that happened. I can so imagine it how, you know, think of it like you're this kind of, in, in Brazil, in this like, like sensationalist TV channel where they're not super much into like fact-checking anyway. And then someone just gets this video, maybe from their nephew, on like WhatsApp. <laughs> and they see it and they watch it like at the coffee machine and they're like, oh, that's incredible. You know, they don't know that it's a video game. So they see it and they're like, that's incredible. And then they show, the, show it around the office and everyone's like, oh, that's really amazing. Yeah. And then they're just like, let's put that as a news segment for this afternoon. <laughs> and, you know, and I think that's how it finds its way in. Here's, here because that's, that's objectively funny, right? But I think here's where this kind of takes a dark turn back to what we were talking about with the Kojima stuff, is that as funny as these are, you have to kind of dissect, okay, why is it, why was that believable? And you have to think, okay, the assumptions of that Brazilian newsroom is that America is so crazy, which we are, I, I, I agree with that, but it's so out there and ridiculous that that is something that either they believed or they believed people would believe. And I think the deeper thing you have to look at there is why does that assumption work? And is it worth, is it not worth combating that? Because I would say yes, because it may be a funny video of a, you know, a secret service limousine, but who's to say it won't one day be pictures of Kojima next to Che Guevara and people assuming that that's true. Yeah, it's something that I guess works in many ways and often affects what you could consider to be the alien or something that is uh, the other. Mm. I'm using alien here in a sense of like something that you're not familiar with, not an actually, not, 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 not a an creature from outer space, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not an extraterrestrial, but an alien as in something that you're not familiar with or that you haven't had much contact with. Because there is also this lingering notion. I know that it exists in Germany. I assume that it exists in the US as well. When you look at Japan, it's like, okay, in Japan, pretty much anything is possible. And it's like all these crazy things going on. And when someone tells you something about Japan and you think like, oh, that's crazy. But yeah, it's surely true because it happens in Japan. Right. And in Japan, anything can happen. Yeah. No, it's it's exactly true. I mean, it's one of my one of my favorite moments of the podcast is when we were talking about rules and regulations and you followed it up with, now I'm from Germany. 
And that, mm. that was so funny to me because of course, from an American perspective, of course, Germany is very, is very rigid in regulation. Right. And so it's the same thing with, you hear something crazy from Japan and you think, well, they have made cafes and they, you know, they love anime and stuff. Yeah, I believe that. Whatever. They eat octopus. See, this is this is where it gets very dangerous because it's yeah. just falling into stereotypes and harmful assumptions. Exactly. This is where we have to we have to be consciously aware that fake news they don't exist in a vacuum as such. But as you said, Dan, they are believable for some kind of reason. And that reason often is a lack of knowledge and a whole lot of stereotypes so that people would just say, yeah, of course. And this is also true for Russia, for example. Like, yeah, of course, Russians would do this. Or I've seen some funny segments on like, you know, how Russian propaganda speaks about the West in general, like what's happening in Europe at the moment, for example, to discredit Europe. And uh, where all kinds of things are talked about that are completely ridiculous, completely fabricated, but they are believed because of kind of an overall stereotype that has been created that in Europe, the governments are forcing people to be gay and they are having kind of like all these no sexual morality and, and these kinds of things, yeah. right? So it all rests upon a bedrock of otherness and uh, stereotyping. And the thing is that even though these incidents that we now referenced that happened on CNN and on the BBC and even on Fox News, they are they are often quite funny. They're quite hilarious because they're so absurd. And often enough, let's assume that they're not placed there with malicious intent or often they're not even designed for political propaganda, but they just slipped by or they made, unfortunately, like coincidentally, they made a fool out of themselves at Fox News by adopting this Bioshock infinite imagery. However, we have to be aware that in comparison to other parts of the world, Western news media, they often have still a relatively high reputation, a relatively good reputation when it comes to being a trustworthy source. And they are often quoted and referenced in other countries for reliable information. The BBC is one such example that is drawn from all over the world, but also the New York Times, for example. When something's written in the New York Times, that's where we come back to gatekeeping, then it has a certain sense of credibility because you say, yeah, it went through that process. It has been professionally checked. Right Now, what if a fake such as like a gameplay video makes it through that process for some reason, slips by and gets distributed in Western news media? Then people who made that fake for some kind of political reason, they can come back to it and reference the story that has been published in this example in the New York Times. And they can then come back to that and they kind of launder, it launders the fake. It makes the fake real. It gives it a sense of credibility because, hey, as the BBC has reported, and then you can come back and even though you know it's a fake, you can redistribute it with more credibility than it ever had before. That's why it's so important that Western news media, but all kinds of news media really, but especially those with a high reputation, that they are especially cautious of double-checking, verifying the information before they distribute anything. Because if something slips through the cracks, it will not only damage their reputation, but it will also help those that try to scratch away at the foundation uh, of truth.
Well said. And I think the last thing that I'll say on this is is twofold. One, not only would they not only would the people who get the fakes through use the sort of status of the New York Times or CNN or the BBC, these trusted outlets to say, okay, this thing is real. The opposite may also be true, where they come out and they say, I faked this and it got through the New York Times. So why would you trust anything they say? Which I would say is is equally as damaging. And what where I want to end, because I think sometimes, Stefan, on our podcast, we have Sometimes we don't know where we fall on certain moral issues. Sometimes we work through them and things like that. I know exactly where I fall on this. And I want to say that as exhausting as it can be to do the research and make sure that you are thinking truthfully about something, the people who propagate these fakeries are counting on you not to call them out. I want us all to think about someone who we all know who is a student in a class who did not do the reading, but they're very good at talking. And you're thinking to yourself, I know you didn't do the reading, but if you don't say anything, they're going to keep talking. As soon as you say, yeah, I don't think you actually read that, right? Or I don't, I don't see where you're getting this. What do they do? They get defensive and they shut up. So as exhausting as it can be, it is important to do the research and call these people out. Because even if we're attacking it after the fact, to leave it alone and let it be propagated is far more harmful than the exhaustion you might feel trying to take it down. Yeah, I agree. And I want to leave one last word of advice here as well that I have had to learn over time, which is be especially cautious if something really affirms your opinion. <laughs> like, be aware of confirmation bias. If someone posts something online and it shows a picture of someone talking in a video and it just gives you like a caption of what they have said, then don't just retweet that and rely on the fact that it's true. Rather, watch the video, at least watch the video yourself to see whether what is in that image has actually been said. Because often enough, important information is left out, context is left out, and it's just there to basically play into your confirmation bias and say like, yeah, of course, that's what we all have been thinking anyway. And now he just says it out loud. Thank you so very much for listening. You can submit your thoughts, your questions, and of course, your favorite video game-related fake news to studyingpixels.com contact. If you want to support us, then you can get Studying Pixels Plus by visiting studyingpixels.com plus. Thank you so very much to Richard Mertens, who edits this show, and we will be back next week. See you then. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 